You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. It is Jack Hoffman of Team Jack coming out of the field right now. There's fourth down and short. Jack Hoffman has been adopted really by this football team. A young man who has battled brain cancer is on the field right now for the Huskers. One more snap for Taylor Martinez, too, who will hand it off to Jack. So Taylor gets the shotgun set, gives it to Jack. Here he goes. He's got blockers out in front. There he goes. running the midfield. Listen to this crowd. As Jack Hoffman, the young man, that, as I mentioned, has really been adopted by this football team to score a touchdown. Oh, wow. What a moment. And both benches empty. That, that was a moment right there. Wow. Goosebumps. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as we start the news off with some sad news here in, in the Husker Nation world as Andy Hoffman, the father of Jack Hoffman, who you just heard there from the 2013 spring game, who scored the legendary touchdown in that game, uh, passed away with his own battle of brain cancer. And it, it, it was only, you know, it, it, it was this so crazy to think his own son battled pediatric brain cancer for years and won the battle, so to speak, played high school football this year as a freshman in Atkinson, Nebraska, has raised millions of dollars for pediatric brain cancer, fueled by a moment in 11 and 12 with Rex Burkhead with the 2013 spring game being kind of the pinnacle of that, uh, that Andy Hoffman uh, had brain cancer and, and, and battled that himself, passed away here in, in his home in Nebraska here on Monday. And, and guys, um, you know, you just think about Nebraska football the last 10 years, and obviously there haven't been any championships. There haven't been – you know, very many big bowl wins. But you think about that moment and, and, and the moments that we've seen. And, you know, Andy Hoffman's persistence and his passion towards his son, towards raising pedi- awareness for pediatric brain cancer and money for that cause, um, you know, that led to one of the greatest moments that we've seen in Nebraska football the last 10 years or so, um, a cul- culminated by the ESPY Award in the summer of 2013 for the best sports moment. Um, and, you know, to, to, to see Andy and all the people he touched, I mean, it just just a tragedy uh, that he's lost his life here at 42 years old. Well, what made that moment so special was not only that, you know, that cool they gave him a chance to, uh, to do that, but how organic it was and how, you know, I guess we're reading stories about it that, you know, um, you know, Jack and Andy and the, and the Hoffman family didn't even know that was going to happen. You know, they were just there kind of following around. And, you know, C.J. Zimmer, who was a real close, uh, you know, f- former player to, to that family, kind of orchestrated that and brought up the idea. Bo Pelini ran with it, gave it the green light immediately. And just the way it kind of played out uh, was so cool. And, again, it wasn't one of those forced deals where people are kind of just doing it for PR. They, they did it because, um, you know, it was, it was an awesome thing to do. And again, it's a memory that, you know, almost a decade later, we're, we're still talking about. It's still being aired on Big Ten Network. You know, when they're showing little clips of like great moments in each program, Nebraska is Jack Hoffman scoring that touchdown. So, um, you know, that when that news came out uh, the other day, you know, I, the immediate reaction from everyone who has any affiliation with Nebraska sports, fans, media members, coaches, players, uh, it was all just, just total sorrow because of what this family had already gone through, had already overcome. And then, you know, for something like this to happen, it's like, you know, why do things like that have to, ha- have to happen to such good people? Yeah, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but uh, you know that moment is certainly something that's going to live on forever. I got kind of got goosebumps. We just hearing the crowd cheer in the background of that sound clip there. But you know, one thing that always has stood out to me about the whole situation is how um, <clears throat> you know they they could have you know there's a, probably a million different ways they could have handled the attention that they got from that and. Uh, they, they used it for good. They kind of harnessed all that energy and uh, created, you know, quite the foundation. They've raised uh, so much money. Millions of dollars. Yeah, for, for um, you know, the, to fund research to, to help cure uh, pediatric ba- brain c- cancer. And 
Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, even though this is, you know, completely sad and, and, and just unimaginable that this has happened, I think that this is, you know, the, the Team Jack Foundation, you know, is going to continue to go on for a long, long time. Yeah, and something that started with a simple bracelet campaign in 2011, then later turned into a T-shirt campaign that sold 14,000 T-shirts, $275,000 was the initial check uh, given towards pediatric brain cancer. And before that, um, you know, n- nobody was raising money or awareness for that cause. I mean, they, they barely had, I think, any six-figure donations of any kind until Team Jack came along. Um, and and the, the Nebraska fan base deserves a lot of credit. I mean, that, that was something that caught fire. I mean, it was like a Facebook, social media phenomenon. Everybody was wearing the Team Jack shirts. It was Team Jack days around the state. All for this little boy and all because his father had the passion to push this. I mean, the kid was six years old and Jack was an attorney in Atkinson and um, just was the engine that drove this thing and his passion and persistence. I remember we had Big Red Wrap Up and, and they came in and, you know, Atkinson, Nebraska guys is almost a four hour drive from Lincoln. And I mean, they drove in on a school night and um, were on with us till eight o'clock and drove back and Jack went to school the next day, you know? And I mean, they, they were really pushing their efforts and their cause all the way, all the way through, and to see Jack play high school football this year, uh, I'm sure that was special for his father Andy, who, when he found out the news that he had brain cancer, um, you know his his days were numbered. So uh, we always will remember Andy Hoffman, the contributions uh, that he has made here, not only for pediatric brain cancer, but to the state and to everyone he's touched here um, over the last seven or eight years. Well. Before we go here and into break, guys, uh, Robin, I did want to get to the other major story of the week, um, and we're going to talk a full segment on Nebraska basketball. But Teddy Allen officially parted ways, left the team, opted out, however you want to phrase it, this week. Six days after he scored 41 points, Nebraska basketball's won two in a row without Teddy Allen, and we'll get into that more in our next segment. Um, but just give me your... And you know more about this than probably anybody, Robin. Give me your take on this Allen situation. Well, I mean, obviously for a lot of people, this came as zero surprise, the way that it ended the way it did. Um, I think that includes, to an extent, Nebraska. You know, when they recruited Teddy Allen, they were fully aware of his story and some of the quote-unquote baggage that, that comes along with him and you know they they were willing to take that gamble and they they saw the talent that he had his ability to score in so many different ways uh as non-traditional as his style may be uh you know he he's named teddy buckets for a reason because uh, you know few players can score like he can and so they they took a risk and they brought him in and uh you know had a support system around him both within the program and, and also uh you know his uh, family and, and and people that are close to him out in uh, in Boys Town, and so that was kind of the hope that by having that kind of circle of uh, people he can trust, that was going to help him forward. And clearly, uh, it had some ups and downs. You know, for for every breakout game like the forty-one point game or the game winner against Penn State, uh, you know, there was the the game in Minnesota where he was benched per coach's decision. And you know, the last couple games uh, before he uh, transferred out, you know, he played ten minutes in that win over Minnesota. So. I think that was something that had been building for a while. Uh, probably the, the the straw that really got things going was uh, the first game back against Michigan State when he goes one of ten from the field with three turnovers, just looked totally disengaged, and then got benched the very next game at Minnesota. I don't know if that relationship ever really recovered from there, and things just kind of progressively got to the point where it got to where he, he just decided it was time to move on. And Nebraska, I think you could say it was a mutual decision. Um, and with the way that they played against Rutgers, it really shows that, you know, to, as good as Teddy is and as well as he can score the basketball, sometimes, you know, there is such a thing as addition by subtraction. And Nebraska's ball movement and chemistry on offense looked better than it had all year. And it's, I think it's not unfair to say there's a direct correlation where a player that requires so much volume uh, with the basketball in his hands like Teddy Allen is not out there, suddenly the ball movement is at its best. All right, we'll continue this Nebraska basketball uh, conversation here next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
I'll say this. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed coaching Teddy. I enjoyed you know the opportunity to get to know him. You know, I'm certainly wishing Teddy nothing but the best as he moves forward, and, and I'm going to do everything I can to support him and help him as best I can. As far as you know, everything you know, it, it is when you know the guys care about him, or our staff cares about him, and uh, you know, hope he uh, uh, you know, and he'll be he'll be good. I, I think he's got a long career ahead of him. You know, something that happened, and we moved on from it, and, and again came out and played a really complete game, which I gave our guys a lot of credit for. Uh, when you had something like that happen, you, know, you don't know how your guys will respond or, or, or what will happen with your team. But you know, we came out and played inspired basketball uh, for 40 minutes, and, and that's again exactly what it took uh, to win a game like this in the Big Ten. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washick, continuing our conversation about Nebraska basketball. This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. If you're in town here for girls' state basketball or boys' state next week, no better place to go in between games to watch games, get food, cold drinks. Um, Tanner's on 30th and Yankee Hill. They'll have all the Husker basketball action on as well as Nebraska playing Thursday and Sunday before they'll play Wednesday, Robin, in the Big Ten tournament next week? As Yeah, either as the 14 or 13 seed. So, yeah, and, and that takes me to our next point. I mean, who would have thunk a week 10 days ago there would even be a shot right now of getting the 13 seed? I mean, it looked like Nebraska was the lock of the lock to be the 14, and they're a win away against a team that's playing pretty poorly right now in Northwestern in, winning, in getting that 13 seed two games in a row. Obviously, they go to Iowa for a very tough game Thursday, but then in Evanston Sunday for what appears to be a really winnable game on the road at 1230 Sunday. Yeah, I mean, three weeks ago, the the question was, would this team lose out in conference play <laughs> and basically go 2-38 and 38 in Fred Hoiberg's first two years in the Big Ten? And uh, the tone has definitely changed since then. And, you know, as we talked about in the first segment, uh, you know, Nebraska just played in many ways its best game of the Fred Hoiberg era. In fact, I don't even know if it's a conversation at this point. That was the best 40-minute full effort uh, performance that we've seen from this team. And, uh, you know, for, that's especially impressive when you consider it was their 12th game in 24 days and uh, all the other stuff they've had to go through on and off the floor. Uh, not only this team still fighting, but they're getting better. And that's a real testament, not only to the coaching staff, but to the players themselves to be able to find a way to, you know, I guess continue to take steps in the right direction despite all these hurdles they've had to overcome. So uh, now they have a real interesting opportunity over the over the next you know couple games here, where um, you know you get the, the extremely winnable final game against Northwestern, who you know they're they got off to a hot start, uh, but they've totally fallen off the the cliff from there. And then in the Big Ten tournament, you know who knows? It depends on who they're going to get matched up with. I think the last projection I saw, they were going to have Michigan State in the first in the first round, which right now that would probably be a tough challenge because Michigan State all as of the, a sudden, in, in the fourteen game or the thirteen as game? a fourteen seed. So, so if they were getting in the thirteen game, who would be the pop, pop, Indiana? Well, I mean, it all depends on how the, it's basically just a jumbled mess right now uh, as far as the conference standing. So. I mean, a lot to be determined over the next couple games, but, um, you know, 13 or 14 or not, it's going to be a daunting challenge. But, I mean, you kind of reevaluate your, your expectations where, you know, a couple of weeks ago you thought it was going to a no-brainer, one-and-done, what's the point of even going to the conference tournament situation to where now – you know, if if they're able to end their game winning or end the the regular season three or four wins, winning three out of four, uh, you know, suddenly you know you're starting to have some some momentum and some confidence going into that thing. Where, I mean, a, a couple of years ago, Johnny Trueblood was seeing extensive minutes, and they knocked off Maryland and Rutgers and almost beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten tournament. So literally, you're in a situation where anything can already happen. But when you have a team playing with confidence and a little bit of swagger, that's believing in themselves for the first time in a long time. Uh, you know, who, who knows? It'll be interesting. And what I like about this stretch, Robin is Nebraska is used to playing on little to no prep time. And mm -hmm. um, so this role that they're going to be on and run going into the big 10 tournament, if they were to win a game, I mean, I don't think it'd be a big a big transition to have to play the next day because these guys have been tested more than anybody in the country. I mean, I don't know if that's a fact, but I have a hard time believing anybody has played more basketball in the last month in Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, like I said, they, you can't. Yeah, 12 games in 24 days uh, in that Rutgers game. So uh, show me a team that's played that many, that type of schedule. I mean, there's NBA teams that haven't played that many. Uh, Three and, games a week pretty much, yeah, right? And, so, and they've already played back-to-back -back nights on the road. And so, I mean, this is – 
kind of par for the course for them over the last month or so. And that could be an advantage. I mean, obviously they're going to be rolling into that thing with about as tired legs as you can imagine. But uh, from the experience of going through this, there's some teams that have had kind of their normal routine uh, schedule, whereas Nebraska has been you know, accustomed to literally learning who they're going to play uh, less than a week in advance for the last th- three or four weeks. Yeah, it's interesting just the amount of games. And I mean, not a lot of teams, I don't think, would have taken this on. But I think, Robin, when you look at the win against Rutgers, particularly, and even the Minnesota game, it reminded you that there are a lot of pieces on this team that we just didn't get to see because of the way the offense flowed with Teddy Allen. But once Teddy Allen left, all of a sudden you're like, God, I forgot Thor was actually not bad. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, um, Walker, you you know, you heard a lot about him coming in, but he can cut and move to the basket. You see the potential with Andre and, and, and what he's going to be. And, you know, I, guys like McGowan's and Banton go into bigger roles now without Teddy Allen. But it's been fun to see just so many other parts of this thing come out that – obviously we almost forgot about with the way they had played with Teddy Allen. Yeah. And you know, it wasn't just Teddy. I mean, for, for some reason guys forgot how to shoot a basketball, couldn't make a free throw, couldn't make a layup. And it just looked like uh, they were new to the sport in some of those games where, uh, I mean, so Teddy in many games was the only one capable of putting the ball through the basket. So uh, I don't want to sit there and completely just bash on Teddy, but clearly removing him from the equation has forced other guys to step up. And earlier this week, Trey McGowan said the same thing where, um, you know, he was asked just kind of what that, that departure meant for everyone else. And he said, you know, kind of just made, gave us no choice that, uh, you know, us leaders have to step up. And I would point to Trey as probably the one player that has elevated his role more than anyone else. I mean, Thor obviously is playing the best basketball of his career. Kobe Webster has been playing really well, started the past few games, but, this is Trey McGowan's team now. I mean, he is the captain, you know, with uh, Teddy moving on, with Delano Banton getting uh, removed from the starting lineup. I mean, he's the alpha right now. He's your, now your primary point guard. I am the captain. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly that. <laughs> and he's playing, you know, like the player Nebraska recruited him to be. And, you know, when he got here, he didn't want to play point guard. He wanted to be a, a, a two guard that, you know, could score a lot of points because he was frustrated with uh, Pittsburgh's offense. You know, it just there was no – flow or chemistry or tempo or anything like that so he didn't think his offensive skill set was being utilized the way it should have been uh well now he's kind of back being a point guard and uh he's playing the best basketball yet i mean that game against Rutgers was one of the most uh in command efficient performances he had 12 points four or five shooting five assists and one turnover it reminded you why hoiberg coached chicago bulls i I think you almost forget like this is a guy that Took Iowa State to multiple Sweet 16s, and he was the head coach of the Chicago Bulls. Took him to the playoffs, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah, if, if he was a Rashawn, uh, Rajon Rondo uh, thumb injury away from potentially making a run to the NBA Finals. And, you know, you, you forget, like, this guy knows what he's doing. Um, and, you know, a year from now, Robin, do you think when Bryce McGowan's gets here and other parts kind of emerge, are we going to look at back at this Teddy Allen era as he was just a one-year rent-a-score where they, they had him as a guy that they – could rely on for a solid 15 to 20, but obviously that he was not going to be the long-term guy. Yeah, and, you know, again, they, they knew what they were getting with him, and in, in some ways it paid off, and in a lot of other ways it didn't, uh, but he was clearly not one of those foundation pieces that was going to lead this program to the next step where, you know, Trey is one of those guys. Uh, you know, Derek Walker is one of the guys. Eduardo Andre now is looking like a really intriguing piece to build around for the future. And so, you know, you pair that with with Bryce McGowan's and Wilhelm Breidenbach. And, you know, I think they've got uh, a really interesting foundation that's already in place that they're going to supplement next year. And for the first time, they're not going to be a completely new team. They're going to be a seasoned group of seniors that have played a lot of Big Ten basketball, faced a ton of adversity, both uh, in, in on the court and with all the COVID stuff. And I think that's going. This is all going to make them better in theory, especially with the way they've responded to it and are now playing, uh, you know, like a unified, cohesive team. Really, since uh, the first time Fred's got here. All right, guys, we are about almost three weeks away from the start of spring ball. And we're going to start our conversation with some positional preview talk. When we come back, we're going to talk quarterback here going into spring ball and our thoughts on that position. You're listening here to the Husker online show. 
This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, Nate Klaus. Guys, we are talking some spring practice. We're close, and, you know, actually normally we would be in spring practice this week. This would be typically your opening week or at least press conference week um, as we've seen spring ball start in some years, maybe as early as February 28th, but generally the first weekend in March has been kind of the kickoff uh, but because of the late start to the semester, then there's no spring break. Um, and obviously the, the different schedule that 2020 brought for the season, Nebraska's doing spring a lot later. And I think it's a great idea for a lot of reasons. They'll get eight weeks of true winter conditioning, which is two to three more weeks of heavy lifting than they normally would get before the spring. They'll probably get to be outdoors for the entire spring. And May 1, you know, we may see a pretty good crowd at Memorial Stadium. But let's get to positional talk. Over the next few shows, we're going to dive in to dispositional group talk. And I want to go right away to quarterback. I mean, to start right at the top. And there's been a lot that's happened there at that position. As we know, Luke McCaffrey is now at Louisville. Adrian Martinez solidified that job with his play down the stretch. He went five games in a row without an interception um, before he threw some at Rutgers uh, completed. Um, you know, well over 80% of his passes to close the season last year. He's the guy. I mean, and I, I think the next question is, what will Smothers look like? And I truly don't think anybody knows right now what to expect. I mean, it's been, Nate, and I'll go to you first because you've seen Logan and, and you're familiar with him. And, you know, what do you expect to see from Logan Smothers the first time he actually plays a true live scrimmage situation? Well, it's it's hard to say, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I, I know that he's going to be prepared. Um, he's the type of kid that takes things very seriously. His dad is a is an offensive coordinator in high school, has been a head coach before. Um, you know, so he's grown up around football. He knows football. He's he's a grinder, and so I, I know for a fact that he'll be prepared. But it's been a long time since since I've seen him play football. I was able to see him his senior year. Um, and, and then he was somebody who was a very accurate passer, had a strong arm, and could run very well. And, I mean, very well. So, I mean, he was, he was a dynamic player. I, I, I have been high on him for a very, very long time. But, you know, I, and I was kind of hoping that he would have gotten a chance to, to get in, maybe even get a series or two last year. But you really don't know because – his final high school uh, or second to, to last high school game, um, he, he punctured a lung, broke three ribs, and uh, you know he, he got the green light to play that next week and uh, didn't go very well. Ended his his high school career, and so when he got to Nebraska, he was still recovering. You know, as an early enrollee, he was still recovering from those broken ribs and that punctured lung and everything. Then COVID so, hits, and then COVID hits, so he didn't get to go through spring football. And I mean, nothing since since uh, that second to last game of his senior year has really gone to plan. So it, it's hard to say, but. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he looks pretty good. Well, and how good he looks is going to have a pretty significant ripple effect. I mean, if he struggles and looks like uh, someone that Nebraska feels they can't count on to Hello, be Terry Wilson, <laughs> exactly, then <laughs> yep. that changes the direction of how they approach the rest of the offseason with the transfer market. And, you know, Frost basically said as much that they want to let spring ball play out. And they're going to give Logan every opportunity to show what he can do and give them a, a full gauge of where he is in terms of his development. And, you know, on one hand, uh, if he struggles, they're going to go find somebody that can give him a little more stability. But if he's good enough, I mean, you're talking about having him be your clear-cut number two who could possibly, you know, get some good first-team reps all year and then maybe even see some actual snaps that when it is eventually his time, he's going to be significantly more prepared. But uh, these next few weeks of spring ball uh, for Logan Smothers are going to be pretty important because uh, that room could look a lot different in a month or so. Yeah, that Terry Wilson discussion, it's interesting how quiet it is because Terry has taken himself off Twitter. He's not doing interviews and he's not announced anywhere. And I mean, this is a guy that started like over 35 games in the SEC, um, was the winningest quarterback in modern day Kentucky history. And he's sitting there as a one year free agent. And, you know, Scott Frost recruited him to Oregon and in home visited him in his home in Oklahoma City. So I I just have a feel that there's still something going on there. But obviously, everybody seems to be quiet about that until the time is right to bring it to the forefront. Yeah, well, there aren't a whole lot of guys like Terry Wilson in the, the transfer portal right now. 
I think that that could change here in a couple months. But just given his experience, you know, there, there aren't too many guys that have started 30-plus games in the SEC that are just hanging out in, in the portal. But uh, he's got no reason to to really, you know, make a speedy decision, I don't think. I, I think he can kind of sit back and, and evaluate his options and see what comes about and, and what might be the best situation for him. But you're right. I mean, there are a lot of connections between – him and Nebraska and him and, and Scott Frost, for sure. Well, and another thing, you know, uh, along with Logan Smothers, is what a great opportunity for Heinrich Harbaugh, Harburg, who – Harbaugh. Harbaugh. Yeah, Harbaugh. Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, he probably wouldn't get this chance if there were more than three quarterbacks, too. I mean, I mean he's going to get a ton of good – He's going to get good reps. Exactly. Yeah. And so what a, what a great opportunity for him to not only – kind of show where he is but just get that level of experience i mean that's a great kickstart to enroll early and get that uh type of shot right away in your very first spring uh i, I you know we'll, we'll see if he can make the most of that nate i'm curious with harbaugh compare harbaugh <laughs> got me got, got me did you just say harbaugh <laughs> harburg compared to mccaffrey at this stage i mean you've seen them both a lot um at that time and i i i'll be intrigued just the physical tools, the throwing ability of Harburg and where he's at. Because um, I remember we did get to see a practice, you and I, um, when and McCaffrey was a freshman, and he did look pretty dang good as a freshman coming in there. Um, but, you know, w- what will he look like, you know, and in, in will some of those tools that he has, will they really show up as a freshman? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's so hard to say. But what I do know is that he's got a much – stronger arm than McCaffrey at, at this point. I mean, <laughs> Heinrich, he, he's got a cannon. He, he can let it rip. He can throw a football 80-plus yards. Easy. And now is he always accurate? So he's got a Ryan Mallett type arm. Yes, he's got which... a Ryan Mallett type of arm. Um, he's got – and he's got Ryan Mallett hands. I mean, he can throw a football that far because – his hands are massive. And I think you and I would both agree, of all the young quarterbacks we've seen, Ryan, there was no other comparison no. to Ryan Mallett at that age. No. Uh, yeah, there, there really was 12-inch hands. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he could, he, could bas- he could hold a ruler between his pinky and his thumb. Um, and when your hands are that big, you can spin a football really well. So – it, but and Heinrich has 11 and a half inch hands. So he's I mean, 11 and a half. Yeah. Wow. So he's, I mean, he's not far behind, but you know, he's got, he's got some refining to do as far as his overall skill set goes. It, you know, I, I think that like Robin was saying, this will be huge for him because just the number of reps, you know, you can't, you can't uh, put a price on, on being able to actually get those reps and, and practice that. So I, I do think that that's going to be huge for his development. Um, but yeah, you know, there, there's some similarities, but actually, you know, there's, there's also some, some stark, um, you know, uh, things that, that don't necessarily line up between McCaffrey and, and Harburg too. Well, it's going to be fun, uh, for sure. And, and even some of the walk-ons will get a, a really good look, um, this year. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys like Matt Masker, mm-hmm. um, that have been around, you know, they've been here the whole way. I mean, Masker traveled in 18 to road games yep. and signal them play so he knows what he's doing and, and he'll get some repetitions to put himself in the conversation um but it's a huge part of it i mean and, and i think we all agree this season if it's going to be what anyone wants it to be martinez has to be the guy we thought he was going to be in 2019 mm-hmm. well and you know you focus that down onto the spring i mean he's got a brand on another brand new receiving core to work with here uh with guys that he hasn't thrown very many passes to so uh, we talk about all these reps for you know heinrich and smothers uh i think this is just as big for adrian i mean he needs every rep he can get this spring to develop some chemistry with those guys especially all those new faces that are probably going to be counted on to take on big roles uh that you know we're really going to set the tone i think for the entire season yeah, I mean, there's it's pretty cut and dry on the surface, but there's an awful lot of of sub stories I think to this whole situation at the quarterback spot. All right, when we come back, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nick Klaus. Just talk some spring practice, guys. As it feels like spring. It's 60s, and even we'll get some 70s next week in the forecast. But um, take us to our next segment here, the mailbag, as we'll take your questions uh, from our Husker Online users. And first question, um, a general this spring question. If 
Xavier Betts, Omar Manning, and Samori Torrey are as advertised. How much will that improve the offense with Adrian Martinez still at the helm uh, from C. Wessel 76? I mean, I, I think it's a no-brainer. I mean, this if I think if two of those three hit, it's going to improve this offense. If all three hit, I think we're going to be like, what the hell has been Nebraska been doing the last couple of years? And, I mean, you just think about last year, guys. They were trotting out a group of walk-ons. You know, Levi Falk, who's a solid role player. Cade Warner, who's very limited, as we know. Wyatt Lever. I mean, there was a core of walk-on guys playing a bulk of the snaps for, for a lot of the year. You replace that with three potential draft picks. I mean, I think it's going to look a lot different. Well, I mean, just the amount of misses at wide receiver over the last few classes has been one of the more crippling parts of why Nebraska's offense has been so bad is because they don't have any playmakers on the perimeter. And, you know, as good as Wandale was, he can only do so much. And, uh, you know, Omar Manning not being what they expected, J.D. Spielman transferring. I mean, just the, the lack of weapons Adrian Martinez has had at that position uh, you know, you can say what you want about him. That's not helping anything. And so if he can get some bona fide week-to-week game-changing wide receivers, uh, there will be a direct correlation and an uptick in his production. And suddenly you'll start thinking about him as a different quarterback if those guys play up to the level we expect. Yeah, imagine if you could get some explosive playmakers on the perimeter. Who, who can get off a, to press coverage and beat somebody downfield. And that can also potentially block in the run game. Holy cow. <laughs> I mean, But you didn't have your blocking receivers and yeah. your catching receivers? Yeah, exactly. I mean, do you think Wandell and J.D. Spielman really wanted to block? I mean, I mean. So uh, this the whole dynamic of this group could change overnight um, if if these guys and I'm very confident Tory's going to work out. I think Betts will take a huge step, and Manning's the X factor. Yeah. Can the guy practice 15 times this spring? I mean, he I don't think he's practiced 15 times at all in the last year. So can they get him out there for an entire spring for five weeks of actually being a part of the, the offense? Well, and to his credit, uh, I mean, just based off social media, which you take it for what it's worth, but he seems like he's all in on Nebraska. I mean, like some guy was trashing him for picking Nebraska, and he said, you know, he replied with a, a quote tweet, GBR forever, you know? So, like, I mean, he's, he's at least committed. And so that part of the equation seems to be, at least on the surface, uh, you know, in the past. Now it's a matter of, can he do it every day over the course of the season and keep himself on the field, not only to be ready for games, but be a guy this staff can trust and count on in practice? Because that's a big deal. You can't just throw guys out there on Saturday and say, go make plays, even though you didn't do anything in practice. It just doesn't work that way. All right. Next question is a recruiting one. Um, has to do with Carson Hegerly out of North Dakota, uh, West Fargo, North Dakota. And uh, when will Nebraska offer? Will they offer is the question from, of course, Fargo Husker. And, you know, I've talked I've talked to um, Carson and, you know, things have really picked up for him. I just think it's a wait and see. But, Nate, stories like this really excite me. It reminds me of Nate Gary or Brent Qualley. You get the kind of one outlier guy every once in a while in, in the Dakotas um, that that kind of blows up. And I, I think Hagerly could be that guy, especially when people get a chance to see him as a six foot, 385 pound athlete. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'd be surprised if he didn't become that guy for this recruiting cycle. I, I think that, I mean, there's an awful lot to like about him. The kid is extremely athletic. Uh, I feel like, you know, if Nebraska had been able to, to get eyes on him in person, whether that was him visiting Lincoln or, or them being able to go up there during, you know, during the evaluation period or, or during uh, the month of January in a normal cycle. Maybe he'd have the offer already. But we know that the, Nebraska is pretty high on him and that they like him. You know, they wouldn't be having Zoom calls and, and you know, t- taking him on virtual tours and whatnot if, if they didn't like him. So uh, I think right now it's just kind of a matter of where does he fit on the board? What position is he going to play? How many are we going to be able to take at that position? And, you know, where does he, where's he fall on the board right now? And then the next question is another recruiting question, Nate, has to do with Jake Applegate at Lincoln Southeast. Um, probably the sixth best prospect in the state. Nebraska's offered the top five. Number one, what position do you see Applegate at? Number two, do you think Applegate will get an offer from Nebraska here before the camp season would start in June? 
Well, first of all, I think he's I think he's a linebacker at the next level. Um, you know, he's I mean, he's a legit 6'4", 210, 215 pounds, really impressive looking athlete that can run very well. He's physical. Uh, I'm surprised he doesn't have more offers. Not necessarily that Nebraska has yet to offer, but just in general, I, I think there's I think there's a lot of players or a lot of teams out there that are that are kind of missing the boat with this player. So. But with Nebraska, I think that there's a very good chance that they do end up offering. I, I have no idea when that could happen, if it's something that could happen before the camp season or if it's going to be a deal where he's got to come earn it at camp. I I just, again, you know, kind of going back to the Hegerly deal, I think it might come down to numbers. You know, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty loaded at linebacker. They, they signed a big linebacker class last year. They got a lot of young linebackers on the team. So, um, you know, where does he fall on your board? All right, next question in the mailbag here has to do with COVID. Do you think and should athletes be prioritized to get the vaccine? And I think my answer on this one is no, because, I mean, the president said this week, everybody in the country should have access to the vaccine by May 31st. So if that is the case, you know, the the powers that be at Big Ten institutions are going to make sure their athletes at least at minimum have access to the single dose Johnson and Johnson vaccine by May 31st. That should be plenty of time in my opinion to, to kind of get things rolling for the summer and in the 2021, 22 fall sports season. Well, when you think about it too, I mean, how many, what's the percentage of athletes that have already had it? Uh, you know, with the outbreaks that have gone on over the past whole months, uh, I mean, that's probably part of the deal. And then also the optics to it. I mean, you you're jumping the line, pump a bunch of 18 and 22 year old, like most physically fit people in the country full of the vaccine over, uh, you know, seniors and, you know, 65 plus guys that are at the most high risk, probably not the best idea. And especially when, you know, if you wait just a little bit longer, everyone's going to have their chance to get the vaccine. Yeah. To me, that's what it comes down to is, you know, when, when is everyone going to have a chance to get it? Now, would I be upset if one of the football players got it before I did? No, I I mean, that would not bug me, but, um, should, should universities and, or the NCAA as a, as a whole prioritize athletes over other people, especially the elderly or the sick or whatever? No, I don't think so. And I look at where we're at now. I mean, as a taping the show on Wednesday, there's 150 people in the hospital statewide. In, in the middle of the football season, there was nearly 1,000 in Nebraska. So we are thankfully in a much better place, and hopefully that only continues to improve here in the state of Nebraska um, as, as we get more and more people vaccinated. All right, final question. EA Sports College Football Video Game. A, are you guys going to reboot your video game careers to play college football? I know all of us kind of probably played video games too long until we got married and had children mm-hmm. all because of college football. In fact, the last day I played a video game was the week before my daughter, Kit, who's now seven, was born. And that was the final edition of the Sam Keller shutdown EA Sports um, college football video game. And B, do you think Nebraska will pull themselves off the game like teams as Notre Dame did here earlier in the month? Uh, first question, no, I will not play it because for one i don't have any time to like play what is the game. system you would play it on now is yeah. there like a ps what is it, ps4 five, five? Yeah. i mean i've got five a, is i've got a three if that tells you anything so no uh my i have retired the sticks i'm not not gonna be booting that up and you know what from what i've heard from people that do play video games the ea franchise has been like hot garbage like the product of games is just the recycled it's basically the same game we played when we were in college <laughs> it's basically it's the same game they just like update the rosters so there's a bunch of glitches and like the product of ea games apparently has plummeted and i will stop my nerdy gamer talk and turn it to name that's yeah that's interesting i did not know <laughs> that robin uh, getting getting educated here now i don't know i i won't um, as much as I would like to think, oh yeah, it'd be fun to you know to, to fire up the the PlayStation. I don't even have one anymore. I think I sold it. I think it was a PS2. <laughs> so I mean, but the, the uh, PS3 was like the heavier black one, right? Yeah. And it was a Blu-ray player, which mm-hmm. you know was kind of a a, a, that was, that was a big re- time. It was a reason to buy it because yeah. you had the Blu-ray player with the wireless PS3 remotes. Yeah. Yeah. So back to your uh, qu- another question about will Nebraska stay on the game? I don't know. I mean, they've kind of been the front runners of this whole NIL thing. Uh, so maybe, you know, they're going to 
But yeah, but there's there's questions like there's no question on the compensation for the athletes. Mm-hmm. That's why teams are pulling out. Mm-hmm. Like until they understand the NIL language, that's why teams don't want to be involved right. in the video game right. yet. Yeah. So you know, who knows? Maybe they have a, a pretty good idea of what to expect with that, and that might alter their decision. But uh, I would it'd be disappointing though. They finally get college football back, even though I'm not going to play it. And Nebraska wouldn't be on the game. That that's like all oh, like FCS. It's yeah. like it's like remember the regional FCS opponents. There was like. <laughs> <laughs> were the names of some of the regional like southern it was just directions it was like, like southeast yeah college or god was, i forgot all about those yeah, i don't i don't even remember <laughs> i just like to recruit oh yeah that was the best I, Ma- I would i would do the recruiting and then <laughs> simulate the season so the best trick that i ever had was when you created a player and you like made him the 99s across the board uh, except you made him a punter or a kicker and then you put his kicking and punting abilities like all the way down to zero. So he'd be like a, a 52 rated kicker and you'd recruit him, go all in on him. And then you just switch his position and you'd have like a 99 running back. Wow. That, that's how you build a franchise a right there. Life hack. Game changer. The, yeah. So Nate and I, when we first met in 02, we were traveling the country for a company called the Recruits Unlimited. I think we ran close to 50 camps around the entire nation, drove in a van and we jimmy rigged my 13 inch TV, and I believe it was the PS2, Nate. Yeah, it had to have been the PS2. And we had one of those like cigarette lighter adapters, and it made our summer. I mean, we played yeah. a car wide dynasty where everybody had a team, everybody recruited. I mean, it, and it, it was it was real, man. We we had some fun times playing that game in the car. A lot of smack talking. Did a lot of smack talking. Some heated moments. But it made the time pass because what we drove forty thousand miles that summer, something like that. I mean, forty it was, or fifty thousand miles. Yeah, it was crazy. Our worst drive, I'll never forget. We went from Lincoln to Miami, Miami to Detroit, Detroit to Dallas in a matter of ten days. Yeah, mm. in a car, and then back to Lincoln yeah, in a fifteen passenger van <laughs> with seven people. <laughs> with seven people, and we were only allowed to get two hotel rooms for seven people. <laughs> So that was the summer, and we played a lot of EA Sports that summer. But that should be interesting to follow here over the coming weeks. All right, when we come back, we'll close the show with recruiting. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus talking recruiting now as uh, Nebraska sitting with no commits here. Um, things have been very slow, as we know, with uh, the dead period it's going to go on for about 15 months now, 16 months uh, before coaches can even have some physical interaction and person inter- interaction with prospects at the minimum. Um, but Nate, uh, we are in top 10 season and Nebraska being very aggressive with offers. I want to start with this. Uh, Nebraska did make the top 10 um, for a prospect out of Georgia, uh, out of Grayson, Georgia, a very familiar high school. And I take top 10s with a grain of salt, but it was one of the bigger storylines, at least in recruiting that came out of this week. Yeah. I mean, they uh, Grayson High School has has given Nebraska a couple players, Muhammad Barry and Ronald Tompkins. Um, and over the weekend, they offered Mumu Bin Wahad, and uh, he's he's a, a a safety cornerback, safety prospect, six one, hundred and eighty pounds. Well, they subsequently made his top ten. Uh, it's still, you know, I think early in the recruiting stages, obviously, and, and kind of building that uh, that relationship there. But he's got 14, 15 offers to his name, so he's really only cut a handful of schools. But for Nebraska to be one of the newcomers to that offer list and, and, and go ahead and within 24 or 48 hours make that that top 10, I think, is a good sign at least. And and that's a program, I mean, that's a powerhouse program in, in Georgia. You know, between Grayson High School and Buford High School, I mean, those are those are two of the top programs in this state. So uh, it's it's good to see Nebraska continuing to be able to, to recruit the state of Georgia and, and, you know, making those early cuts with, uh, with some of those guys. All right, Nate, let's get to the other news now of the week. Um, you know, it, it was – relatively quiet and then over the weekend I mean it was Saturday Sunday um, just a flurry of new offers went out I I know I was getting tagged like crazy um, by our regional analysts um, notifying us on some of these new offers that were being made Um, what really stood out to you about kind of the latest round of offers and how many if you had a guess were made over the weekend. Yeah, close to 10 offers that, that went out over the weekend, the majority of which happened on Sunday. 
you know, I, I think the the thing that kind of stood out to me was that it it was offensive line, defensive line, and defensive back. You know, we we already kind of hit on Mumu bin uh, Wahad out of uh, out of Georgia. The the other uh, defensive back was Kalen Griffin out of Montgomery, Alabama, Montgomery Catholic. And, you know, and they also offered a defensive tackle out of Alabama. So that's you know, continuing to be a state where Nebraska is wanting to get in and, and they've had some success there. And I think they're, they're still um, going to be recruiting Alabama pretty hard, which makes sense to me. I, I like that move uh, by Nebraska. But the majority of the other offers kind of happen within the, the Big Ten footprint. The, the one outlier, I guess I would say, was Jeremy Patton out of uh, Tenaha, Texas, uh, he, you know he's he's a running back, so he doesn't fit that that O line D line or defensive back mold. He's he's a running back, but uh, and he's from Texas. But really, everyone else kind of either the offer went to a program that Nebraska has a good connection with, like Grayson High School or Salt Lake City East, um, you know, or um, you know, kind of in that Big Ten footprint. Couple of things uh, when I look at needs, Nate. Obviously, quarterbacks a no brainer. They have to get a quality yep. quarterback in this class. I mean, do you think secondary getting more quality bodies in that room, is that the other big, big priority right now in your opinion? Well, I think uh, O-line, D-line, and quarterback. I mean, under the staff, I think that they've pretty much shown you shown us so far that those are going to be priorities every year uh, to get the best offensive line, defensive linemen that they can get because uh, they know that you have to build from the inside out in, in this league. Uh, and you, of course, have to have a quarterback. But beyond that, yeah, I think I think defensive back is going to be continuing to be kind of a, a priority in this recruiting class, and and to, to add some talent there, to add some um, some depth. And you know, when you've got guys that you know, when you've lost the players that they've lost here over the last year or two, um, most of which were new new signees that didn't even make it an entire season. Uh, you've got to replace those guys with some people. Um, you know, and so I think defensive back is as far as the defensive side of the football, that's going to be the spot where the, the large majority of the attention is paid. You know, Nate, uh, Connor Cole will obviously be the kicker this year, but that's one that intrigues me. Will Nebraska offer a kicker in the market or will they try to develop one of their in-house guys? Um, Crawford, they, they got the kid, I believe, from Broken Bow um, as a walk-on coming yeah, in. From Ord. Ord, I'm sorry. Bro- He's got an amazing leg. And he, he was a state wrestler that, you know, placed. I mean, he's a good – he's like a yeah. – he's a traditional – kind of Dan Young style Nebraska kicker and credit Dan Young he was the first guy to really start recruiting athletes that were kickers you know when you go back to the Chris Brown to the Josh Brown to the Darren Erstads and and, and the different types they brought in um, you know and it will be interesting to see how th- those guys develop but will they make a kicker offer um, and, and evaluate kind of that Coles market scene here this summer as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you always have to be paying attention to it and see what's out there uh, compared to what you have on your on your roster already. But, you know, we'll see what happens uh, with, with the kicker from Ward. I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. Kellen Meyer, I think it might be. But, uh, you, you know, if he lives up to his ability, I think that he's probably going to be your guy for the next – Four years, uh, at least, and they've kept him kind of under the radar. I feel like, I mean, yeah. not not a lot of people know about this guy, but he, yeah, you're right. I mean, he could be the next great in-state story if if everything aligns. Yeah. Well, when you hear stories about the opposing team during warmups of the games stopping their warmups to watch him kick 60, 65, 70 yard field goals, I mean, it's that's pretty unheard of. Um, he had he kicks everything everything out of the end zone by a wide wide margin. So uh, he I mean he just has a, a monster leg. And so if he can kind of harness that and, and continue to um, you know refine those abilities, I I mean I, I think that they're going to be set there. But like I said, you always have to kind of have your your thumb on the action and see what's out there because you never know you you could be one bad week uh, away from losing losing someone at any position but especially at kicker as we've seen um you know that's you don't want to be left empty-handed there it reminds me of um back in 2006 Nader when Nebraska lost to Texas because they couldn't put the ball deep in the end zone and Bill Callahan just went absolutely nuts and went all in on Audie Kanalik and I remember his film back in high school you know he was kicking off and 
the ball was like hitting the concession stand yeah. behind the you know behind the field behind the track. Yep. I mean, he had one of the strongest legs, and that's when touchbacks or the kickoff line was the thirty in college football. And Audie Kanalik was one of the few in college football that could consistently get touchbacks from the thirty. Yeah, we went we went all out for Audie as soon as we as soon as we saw his film. Uh, he he became a major major priority for Coach Callahan. Uh, who was you know, directly involved in recruiting him, which you can't always say about a kicker. But, yeah, that was a, that was a, a big, big deal. I remember bringing him up uh, on his recruiting visit and everything and uh, really rolling out the red carpet. You, you always do for every recruit. But, uh, you know, for, for a kicker, he got even, you know, maybe extra, extra attention. Was it the 11 a.m. Texas game in 06 and Quan Cosby maybe returned a yeah. few kickoffs because – Congdon, I don't know if it's Congdon or who was doing kickoffs that year. I can't remember. Was it Congdon? Or in, was in 06, it would have been Congdon, I believe. Okay. David uh, Dykes was before. Yeah, Congdon was freshman All-American um, in 05. Yeah, and, okay. And then 06, he was the starter. Um, Alex Henry was on the sideline standing on those teams. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I go back to that Cotton Bowl just thinking about them losing 17-14, to 14, having to go for it go like for it, several yeah. times on the 30 because Congdon didn't have the leg to kick a 45-yarder in a chilly Dallas morning wind. It wasn't even that windy at that game. No, it wasn't. It was, and, it was I mean, aside from the temperature, it was pretty nice. Yeah, day. and they lose that game, and Alex Henry's just standing there on the sideline. Unreal. <laughs> Anything outside of 40, and it wasn't even a, a debate. They, they went they would not. They would not. Um, they would not let Congdon kick anything farther than that. All right, well, lots to keep tabs on here. Husker baseball starts this weekend as well. We will have coverage of all the games, live threads on Husker Online as well with Blake Arney, our intern, as they have a four-game set against Purdue. Nebraska basketball plays this weekend as well. Sunday, season finale against Northwestern. Then they'll be in the Big Ten tourney on Wednesday. So make sure you're on HuskerOnline.com as plenty to keep up with here on a very busy Husker sports weekend. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.